Welcome to Frequency 13, a safe space for Generation X, episode 27. So, we're here. It's the end of the year. Now, it's been a little while since I put out an episode, admittedly. There's been a lot going on. And I, I think uh, I think that 27 tells me that's one plus on a bi-weekly show. So, uh, I think there were some prolific weeks in there, and, and I apologize for the in, the infrequent nature of the show. But any of you that have a hobby, you understand, don't you? You understand that things get in the way, things like paying the bills. And that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens to me. So, I, I, again, I, I truly do apologize, but understand that, you know, this labor of love is just that. And, and uh, I, I really want to I really want to be as consistent as possible. And next year, I'm going to I'm going to be doing something a little different. So this this is really the last episode of the season, the last episode uh, of the season. And we're going to call, we're going to do this, we're going to do it by year. So 2020 was going to be, is, is going to be season one. And aren't we all glad to be getting rid of, of uh, 2020 anyway and move on? <laughs> I, I'm already thinking about it. You know, it's like I always get excited this time of year thinking about, you know, refreshing, renewal, that that beginning of the year feeling everyone has that there's this energy you know people complain about new year's resolutions and the the gyms are full and all these sorts of things but man there's just something refreshing about a new year and and, and something new I, I love it man it's it's literally my favorite time of year the day after christmas through you know the end of january uh my favorite season my favorite season when it comes to just interaction with people and friends and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um all of the uh debauchery and, and overeating and, you know, whatever. It's over by then, so it's great. Anyway, uh, let me ask you this before we get into this. What would you pay? Would you pay $175,000 for a Hot Wheels car? Yeah, roll that one around in the noggin for a minute or two. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. So, uh, you know, I missed Thanksgiving. We were, you know, we, we stayed home and did our thing. It was kind of busy. Uh, around here. The basement, I think I told you this, it's completely finished. We've been enjoying it, so that's been good. Uh, work has been absolutely insane. This this time of year is a very busy time for me, getting things ready for next year. Uh, it takes up, it takes up a lot of my time, and some of you know I, I took on some additional responsibility, and that really adds to that end-of-year rush and and a lot of folks that I'm going to need signatures from are going to be taken off for the holidays. So it's been been doubly uh, pressurous. Pressurous? Is that a word? A lot of pressure. Get it done. And I have. So I'm in pretty good shape. Feeling pretty good. Uh, we got snow today uh, up here. So it's been unseasonably warm, too. So I was going to do this episode last week. And you know what? It was so nice. I had to go hiking. And when we did, we had a great time. Got some great photos, too. We're going to talk about photography in a bit on this on this show today again. And uh, But we got some great photos up there. We took some photos with the iPhone. Uh, we took some photos with the uh, with my Sony A7R three, which some of you may know. It's like a 43, 43 or 46 megapixel camera. Uh, the eight, they're 83 uh, megabyte files. 
Now, if you had a computer back in the day, we're going to talk about Tandy at some point today. <laughs> how, much, how much memory did you have for that sucker, man? <laughs> So, yeah, we got that to look forward to. Uh, and I, I printed some of those pictures. Now, that's that's going to be another conversation. I printed them in a three-by-three three format, so square. And I found a place that prints them called Fox Print. And they kind of bent me out of shape a little bit on a discount code or whatever that didn't work in the app. It only worked on the website, whatever. I finally got the photos. And it was just like getting film developed. That was what was so fun about it. I select. Well, not, it's not quite the same because I was able to see the images on my phone and, you know, select which ones I wanted printed. So it felt like it because I had to wait. It took like two weeks to get the images to me. And they just showed up and they're these three by three and they're on a card. They're on cardstock paper with a little white border. And they remind me of old timey photos and they're great. I printed a bunch of stuff, man. I printed some stuff to look old. I printed some, you know, stuff to, to look good. And, you know, again, I talked about the 43 megapixel. I talked about the iPhone. I think it's a 12 megapixel, whatever. We're going to talk about the original digital camera in a little bit. So I want you to have those numbers in, in, in mind when we get to it. But the, the images, when you're looking at them and they're printed out, it doesn't really matter how many. I'm telling you, you can't really tell the difference. They look great. And it's the memory that you're capturing at that point in time. Now, I print some large format stuff. I print stuff that's pretty big in my house. And I, I love doing that. And that really requires you know, high quality sensor that can capture some detail. It, it does because I'm going to go look closely at it. But a lot of people see a photo on a wall. They don't go put their nose right into it to look for minor details. They're looking for the vibe, right? So does it really matter? I don't know. I mean, I, I think photographers think it does, but I think regular people don't really care. So, uh, you know, the framing and, and the, uh, the, 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 basically the presentation of the image is probably more important than anything else. So had that going, we got holidays coming up. My son's coming up for Christmas. I'm so excited about that. He lives down in Texas, uh, and he'll, he'll be up for the holidays. So it'll be great. So this is going to be the last episode of the year and we're calling this season one. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to go to season two, and, and it's going to be a little different format, folks. I got to tell you, I'm going to do a couple of different things, and I'm, I may tease it a little bit throughout. This show is going to be longer than normal, by the way. So normally I'm running 40, 45 minutes, roughly. Uh, this one could stretch out to an hour and a half, and so that might be a teaser because uh, we're going to maybe spread the spread the time out between the episodes to maybe uh, a monthly. How would that feel? with a couple of bonus ones peppered in there, just depending on what's going on. Uh, that would, you know, that that probably is going to make the most sense for me with some of the other things I have going. Uh, and and we'll, uh, I hope that, I hope that, I hope that's not disjoining, but, you know, this is, a, this is a show that you don't have to listen to from start to finish. I'm not telling you a specific story. It's got tons of little segments. Uh, you can always break them up by chapters, listen to a little bit, listen to it later, you know, I mean, you have so much to listen to anyway. Uh, what what I do know is a long show, if it's on one topic, is very hard to to really follow, isn't it? So this is going to be an opportunity to get the same content out there that I enjoy and love, and I hope you do too. Well, I guess if you're here, you do. Or maybe you're just checking it out. Hey, how you doing, new listener? <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, so it's going to be different. That's all. And it's going to be fun. And we're going to, you know, get some more modern 
ideas going. We're going to talk a little bit about how they contrast with where we were at when we were younger. So I want to kind of balance those two things out because I think it's hard to really talk about, you know, things like technology back then if we don't add some contrast of where we're at today. And, you know, I'm a big tech fan, folks. Uh, I, I really am. And, and you know, I don't, I don't like to get into heavy issues, but I do like to, you know, kind of talk about, well, if I see something, what, what, what does that mean? If you just throw out a number, oh my God, it's, it's this many megajibits, right? What, what does that mean? Is that good? <laughs> Is that bad? I don't know. If you didn't know what a mile per hour was and somebody told you something went 500 miles per hour, it wouldn't mean much to you, Right. And it's kind of like currency. You know what a dollar is if you're an American. You know what a dollar is and what it'll buy because you you equate those two things. If you're an American, you've never been to India, what's a rupee? And how many rupees equal a dollar? And if you go to buy a package of bubblegum, how many rupees are you going to pay versus how many uh, American dollars would you have to pay, right? So it's all about contrast. I'm going to work on that a little bit. So that's what we're going to do. And then I'm going to have a fun segment called did they do it first segment. So we have a lot of these, a lot of things that people quote unquote invent and they sell to us. And we think that, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. How come nobody ever thought about this? Well, <laughs> sometimes they did. <laughs> so uh, thanks to my pedantic, trivial knowledge of things, uh, I usually pick up on it pretty quick. I'll do the research and we'll have that. We'll have a fun little game with that. And I will not be giving up the Simpsons. Speaking of that, well, first, let's talk about tonight's topics, and it is tonight. I'm doing a later show, uh, so I didn't I didn't get up in early today. There's not a lot of noise out, so I thought it'd be good. Anyway, we're going to talk about Hot Wheels. We're going to talk, and they, maybe not in this order, Hot Wheels. We're going to talk about frozen burritos. I introduced my daughter to Tina's frozen burritos the other day, and you, when I said Tina's frozen burritos, you know exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> and on my other my other podcast, Command A, I had a, a friend of mine and I were talking, and I don't know how it came up, but we'd been talking about these things. I had to go get some Tina's frozen. I hadn't had them in the house in years, years, and I had to go get get some, throw them in the freezer. <laughs> my daughter loves them. I had her and her girlfriend over, and I, her girlfriend's like, "Oh, it's like one of my favorite meals." And I'm like, "Yeah, these things just hold up, man." We'll talk about that. Kodak at Christmas. We're going to talk about Polaroid. Right? We talk about cameras, and we're going to talk about Polaroid instant film. We'll talk about Radio Shack. Yeah, Radio Shack. You can't think about the 80s and not talk about Radio Shack if you had any interest in anything electronic or even just the the magic. And that's something Apple did later on. And that was one thing Steve Jobs said. He he wanted his product, products to be like magic. And, and that's kind of how a radio control car felt to us in, in the 70s and 80s, right, when they, were, when they got down to the kid level. I mean, I'm just sitting here operating this controller. There's nothing in between, and the car does what I tell it to. Man, that's magic, you know? And it was it was joyful for a kid to, to play with those kinds of things. And we'll talk about Norelco. Yeah, Norelco, the shaver, because you can't be a, have a Christmas episode talking about cool stuff in the 80s without the Norelco thing where that snowman, remember that? And he had a Norelco on the bottom. I mean, who came up with this? But it was great. So. I mean, perfect too, right? Smooth snow, and then this the snowman comes through, making a little path like an inner tube thing, and it's because of this the, the shape. We're going to talk about where they came from because what a weird name to begin with. What does it mean, and why? You know what? Do, first of all, do you guys use electric razors, the men out there? I don't. 
They gives me a razor, but I got sensitive, sensitive skin. Can't do it, man. Gives me, just burns my skin like something fierce. So I have to use a regular razor. But uh, I, I was looking up on a Panasonic website today, and they actually have electric razors that you can use with shaving cream. Now, I'm probably late to the show here. I don't exactly chase shaving tech when I say like technology. That's not necessarily what I'm thinking. But the uh, so uh, anyway, I, I I don't know if it's. I'm curious if anybody's used one of these things, and you know if if you have sensitive sensitive skin, if you bother to try, because I always think I want to use an electric razor. I just never actually find one that's going to work. So I don't I don't use one, man. You know, um, I don't. So there's that. All right, and that's gonna, man, that'll do it. So let's uh, let's uh, talk about last week's. Well, it's not last week's, right? It's last month's trivia question, and it was uh, from Bart's Spy Camp, season one, episode ten. Uh oh, it's the female man, female carrier, Bart. Lady, where's my spy camera? Where's, where's my, my spy, spy camera? camera? Where is my spy camera, lady? Six months. Where is my spy camera? Where's my spy camera? Where's my spy camera? Here's your stupid spy camera. Oh, thanks, man. Whoa, man. Look at the size of this thing. I wonder if it really works. Because I got a lot of spying to do. Bart! What are you doing? Sorry, Dad. The answer to that is top secret. Oh, oh, Bart. What? Go take some wildlife pictures or something. (laughs) Oh, gross. Mom, Bart was taking a picture of his butt. (laughs) So... Of course, of course, that was a Polaroid sound, right? We'll talk about Polaroids. That that was, uh, so he gets himself, Homer gets himself in a little bit of trouble here, doesn't he? He's out dancing, having a good old time, and there's naturally Bart to spy cam. Now, today it would be on YouTube, (laughs) right, and uh, and shared everywhere on social media. Uh, But in this case, it was just a photograph. What was the name of the princess that Homer was dancing with that, that got him in trouble? You've probably forgotten already. Princess Cashmere was her name. Remember, she had the veil and you know the uh, the the ribbon clothes. Not ribbon. What's that? I don't know. What that stuff's called like you know, kind of a thin. I don't even know. Forget about it. <laughs> All right. So I hope you got that one right. This this week. Now this episode, folks. This is from season four, episode seventeen, last exit to Springfield. Now. The the thing about this episode is critics and fans alike have often cited this as one of the best episodes of the entire series, and I'm one of those people. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna for, well let me just let me give you a little taste, and you'll when when you hear this you'll understand why we're gonna talk about it today after we talked about Tina's. Lisa needs braces. Don't worry, we won a dental plan in the strike of '88. That's where I got this scar. What do we want? More Where's my burrito? Where's my burrito? Where's my burrito? Then I got this car sneaking under the door of a paid toilet. Oh, I love Homer. That so that episode, Homer becomes a the union boss, right? Because we see that and Joyce Brothers is on. Remember Doctor Joyce? She's there. 
Uh, Lisa plays classical gas. I mean, there's call outs to all these other shows in there. I mean, the writing was absolutely brilliant. Uh, the, it was, they related to, to the Godfather too. Um, let me think here. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, hold on. I got my notes here. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa. There's references to Jimmy Hoffa in there. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Citizen Kane. When, uh, when Monty's sitting there with the vulture sitting over him, right? Uh, so he's sitting in his office. We see, we see, uh, uh, uh Burns sitting in his office and he's waiting for Chucky Fitzhugh. And he's, the, he's the president of the International Brotherhood of Jazz Dancers, Pastry Chefs, and Nuclear Technicians Trade Union. But he's mysteriously disappeared after promising to clean up the union. And everybody starts laughing when, uh, when, uh, uh Carl announces that at the union meeting. And so poor Homer, he's sitting there in line, and all he can hear in his head is Lisa needs braces. Lisa needs braces. And they're talking about, you know, how Burns has offered to give them a keg of beer for every union meeting if they will give up the dental plan. And so Homer's putting it all together, and, you know, they're getting ready to vote, you know, and it's going to be a unanimous vote. And finally, Homer stands up. And starts raising them. It says, talks about all the good things, <laughs> good things the unions, the, the uh, dental plan's done. And he said, what about you, Smiling Joe or whatever his name is? I can't remember. I should have known that. And he says, uh, well, if it wasn't for old Chopper here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's got one tooth in his head, you know, and I love that. I use that all the time. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the question, the question is this. What is the name of the catering truck that collapses, the, the edge of it collapses and gives Homer the scar? What is the name of the catering truck or the crate catering company? Catering company? Catering company. Better learn to speak, Jason. Gosh. All right. So that's it. I hope you get that one. It's going to be, you'll have some fun with that. I think, uh, I think you absolutely will. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get into the show. Oh, let them stay. They're really having fun. Who says car problems can't be fun? Mattel introduces the new portable Hot Wheels service center for your children. Looks like he needs a new set of tires. A new set of tires? The more problems they find, the more fun they'll have. And while you're here, better check the transmission. And when they're all through playing, it folds right up to carry away. Mattel's new Hot Wheels service center. Who says car problems can't be fun? That service center, I, I had one of these service centers. You probably did, too, if you had Hot Wheels back then. Man, it had everything in it. It had uh, little safety stickers. You got And who put, let me tell you this, right? Every time you go to put those stickers on, you had to screw up a couple of them, right? They'd either get a wrinkle in them or you went over the edge and they'd peel back. Oh, my God, those stickers. I didn't know the tricks to putting on sticker. Who did, right? So mine was always screwed up. All of my stupid stickers were always screwed up. And that's, a, you know, that's all right, I guess. But but it was, I mean, the service, it was folded up. It was like a suitcase, right? But it had little things. You put, you, you rotate the thing and it would lift the car up and, and all these things, right? Opening doors. It was, it was absolutely wonderful. I loved, I loved this toy. Uh, now, Hot Wheels in general were just about the coolest thing ever. First of all, how much do you think that service center is today? Take a guess. And you're going to be, you maybe you'll be, I don't know, if you're a collector, I guess maybe you'd know this. I found one in here on eBay. 
and it's really not that much. There's a guy selling it for $65. It actually has most of the stickers in the right place, but you know, compared to what the, the show on the, the thing says. So for that, I'll, I'll give them credit, but they still, you know, kind of screwed it up. They still missed some of the stickers, uh, and they didn't, they had them too close together. You know, that was right. So this person, whoever put this one together, actually, who's the uh, seller here? Is that a pair? It's from Perrysburg, Ohio. So that's yours. Uh, you know, you should have, I bet you, I bet, let's see here, 1760. It could be just a flipper. It says here 419 flip. So they must just buy and sell stuff. I hope they're doing well. All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels history. What do you know about Hot Wheels history? They actually had actual automotive designers and engineers on the team. And, and that's, um, you know, that's, that's, they, they just charged making a better car. And they, so they made the hot, the hot wheels car was born and they did a great job. And so who's the guy is, uh, his co-founder, Ruth Handler, uh, Elliot Handler and his wife, Ruth Handler. And, and he's the guy that designed these things. And, it was the it was a it was a trackable toy car, so they were able to make the track. Do you remember the tracks? Did you ever play with those? Of course you did. And they had the little what are the little plastic things called that connected the two? I God, I couldn't couldn't find it. I can't. I don't know. Did we even have a name for them? I don't even know. But those you put the tracks together, and I you know, you know, you'd see the ones in the in the commercials, and they had all the you know uh, arrangements to make them have loops and whatnot. So I had a bunch of tracks, but they never, everything got lost or broke or whatever. So I ended up stringing this length of track across the living room, you know, back to back to back. And then usually I was short one of those little things. So I just kind of had to butt it together at the at the end or whatever, right? I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to use tape, just, just so you know, just say so you're dealing with here. I wasn't smart enough to use tape. So, uh, but I, you know, I put little pillows under them or other things to kind of make it go. And then the one end, I'd hold it up really high, right, and then kind of just let her let it rip down the track and maybe make a jump or something along the way. Oh God, that was fun. So these cars. So yeah, I so I was asking you which I was asking about that rare car in the beginning. I said, would you pay a hundred? Listen to me, a hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for a car, huh? Would you? Yeah. Well, there is a there is such a thing. Uh, and, and the funny thing about that car, well, let's get to it in a minute here. So, uh, the, the, because they were legit car designers, they actually were making legit cars and they looked real and then they would, but they would make them. So they were kind of souped up, right? So like the hot rod version of the car based on real cars on how they would look. So they were, they were actually really cool. And, and when they, when they did this, um, <laughs> well, first, do you know what the Hot Wheels name came from? It was because uh, of of Harry Bradley's uh, car. He had a El Camino out in the parking lot, and somebody said said to him, and he was a designer. Some of them said to him, "Those are some Hot Wheels." True story. Yeah, true story. That's documented and true. So I got a kick out of that. Uh, so, and here's one for you: because of this connection to General Motors, the '68 Custom Corvette. Came out in a Hot Wheels version before General Motors released the car. <laughs> so back then, that was kind of a big deal. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was as big a deal as it is today. Today, they have a new car coming out. They've got it all camouflaged up. You see, have you ever seen these? I was over in uh, Colorado going through the mountains, and they were some, I don't know which company it was, but they had these 
camouflaged cars out. They got these like blankets all over them. It's the weirdest thing. So you can't really make out specifics of the thing. But they were, it was a car company up there testing, testing cars or stopped and got some gas or whatever. I thought that was pretty cool because I used to really get into that kind of thing. Uh, and then do you remember the red stripe on the tires? Yeah, if you have a red stripe Hot Wheels, they're worth at least $100 or more. And people are even restoring these things now, man. Did you know that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so and, and the original 16, so that was the first Hot Wheels. There were 16 of them. And they were they were based, again, on the actual customized car. Another piece of trivia, I don't, and I don't even think this is, you know, that exciting really, but how many cars do you think have been made since 68? Four billion and counting. Four billion with a B and counting. And that's more cars than we actually have in real life, which I guess is not a surprise because they're a dollar a piece and not $40,000. $40,000, that's, that's giving a car away. I saw an ad today in the paper for a truck, a Ram pickup truck. And I used to own a Ram pickup truck. I owned a Mega Cab diesel-powered Ram pickup truck for a period of time. Guess what this thing, and I tell you, I didn't pay this. Guess what this thing was listing for? Now, I'm sure, oh, I get a little cheaper. I've known everybody can. Everybody gets, everybody's a deal maker, right? $66,000. That's right, for a Dodge. Now, I've heard, I mean, I, I've heard, I guess I even looked it up, but you can customize an F-150 now for $100,000. So I guess I'm not that surprised. But my God, man, what, I mean, think about this for a second. Think about this. So let's say you got a you have a an, an average, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, and you got to buy a hundred thousand dollar pickup truck, and maybe you got to buy two because your wife wants one. Are you kidding me right now? Uh, cars are not worth that much money. I, I, I you're not gonna you're not selling me, man. You know, and and I I saw Apple release some new headphones. People are absolutely losing their shit over a five hundred and fifty dollar set of headphones. Um. But <laughs> walk out and spend $65,000 for a truck. <laughs> anyway, I digress, as usual. So, all right, back to the most valuable Hot Wheels cars ever. And some of these, you know, are not that not that exciting, but some of them you've seen. Like the 74 Magenta Roger Dodger with white interior. I had that car, guys, with the red wheels. I had a lot of cars with red wheels. And I don't have any today. <laughs> But I had that car. That car's worth three thousand dollars, and it's not in great shape. So just so you know, a lot of three thousand dollar versions. Oh, this one's my favorite: the seventy-seven white Z Wiz. It was a Datsun Z, and it had the orange and yellow with the blue trim, right? With the red wheels. I had this car, the seventy-seven Datsun, three thousand dollars. By the way, all right. Now we're going to start getting a little. There's some custom stuff in here too that. They were making with a really cool paint. Did you know they made a, for the 40th anniversary, they made a diamond-encrusted Hot Wheels car for a jeweler? Seriously, yeah. Seriously, I don't, a bunch of carrots on it, but they made a diamond-encrusted Hot Wheels car, which would have been cool. All right, so now we're starting, so some expensive ones in here, too. What do you, I mean, some of these some of these cars that are expensive, you just, you kind of scratch your head a little bit, like a Dodge Charger, 69 Brown Custom Charger. It's worth $13,000 today. Maybe it's not that big of a deal or shouldn't even be that surprised uh, by it because real cars, that real Dodge Charger in great shape. I mean, uh, what's it worth? I don't know, $50,000? I don't know. Some of those things get pretty expensive, especially if they're clean. What about a 68 
Overchrome Camaro. Now that's they used to do this, you know, special edition paint type thing. Twenty five thousand dollars. The over Chrome Over Mustang in its packaging. What's up? <laughs> it's got torsion bar suspension. By the way, that that torsion bar spring system they had. That's what made the cars. You could make them go so fast and they wouldn't roll over because they actually had suspension. So anyway, forty thousand dollars for that one. Now here we go. $175,000. Anybody, if you look this up on your phone while I've been talking, it's on Car and Driver. I should have said that. You could be thumbing through it. It's the 1969 pink rear-loading beach bomb. <laughs> and it's cool. It's a little van. I had a van. I think I ever had a van. My, I love I love the I don't know why I like to play with the vans. They were fun. I'd go back and forth. But anyway, in the paramedic truck. Did I tell you about that? Remember? In the, in the 1 Adam 12 police car? Okay. $175,000 for the 69 and I, my guess is it's because it has surfboard still in there, uh, and it looks great. It's a great-looking car, for sure. But, you know, the best part, I mean, the cars I like. Now, if I had to choose cars outside of a adult collecting cars, which which I don't do. I mean, you know, collecting stuff is is cool. I like that. I mean, I like stuff like that. You just get, I get, at this point in my life, I'm just, meh, not really into collection. When I can go on the internet and look at it, I get this kind of the same vibe. You know what I mean? But as a kid, I wanted door. The doors that opened were usually my favorite. I loved the opening doors. I don't know why, <laughs> but they were something different. And the thing about a Hot Wheels, the, the the magic for me, other than I loved cars, I could put it in my pocket in my church pants. Right? We all did. We had these. Car, we had one or two cars in our church pants pocket. Nobody knew. We could pull them out and play with them on the pew. You know, because after the first, you know, whatever thirty forty five minutes of church. The parents were pretty tired and bored, too, so you sitting on your knees playing with your car on the pew was no longer frowned upon. When you first sat down, you better keep that damn car in your pocket, kid. <laughs> the hoods that open, right? Uh, and that track, man, the red, white, and blue track. God, I love the track. With the plastic connectors, I still wish I could know the name of those things. But they just they felt like a real car. They were balanced, they looked good, and they fit in your pocket. Man, that was... It was good times. I'd go on and on about Hot Wheels. I don't have, you know, did, did you collect them in the little, you know, collection boxes too? I did. I had I had one of them full, plus I had a lot of other Hot Wheels like most kids did. You know, that vinyl thing that had the, the Hot Wheels logo. Now, did you have the rectangular one with the yellow, with the yellow uh, car holders inside? Or were you lucky enough to have the big mag wheel? I think that was a Matchbox mag wheel one. But you put both types of cars. Matchbox were not as good. I don't care who you are. I'll fight you today. I'm serious. I will fight you today. If you tell me Matchbox was as good, unless you're a big fella, <laughs> unless you tell me Matchbox uh, was better than Hot Wheels, we're going we're gonna to have a fight. Again, unless unless you're bigger than me and, um, you know, <laughs> just nah, never mind. I'm not going to fight anybody about it. <laughs> Seriously, guys, we're all too old for that mess. <laughs> so uh, lost my train of thought. Kind of like Homer Simpson when he was standing in line during the episode we talked about, and the guy dropped the pencil in his plumber's crack. Thanks a lot. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> God, I'm telling you, that really was one of the possibly one of the best episodes ever. I've never, man, I had to do a top 10 Simpsons episodes. I should put a list together. It's hard to do. I mean, there's so many of them. I even, you know, I there's there are several seasons, seasons. I'm a big fan of Simpsons that I haven't watched. 
because I don't watch them on a regular basis. And when I go to watch them, I find myself watching the old episodes, right? And I look for my favorites and watch them. I rarely just turn it on. Uh, and anyway, that's, that's here or there. So, all right, that's, man, I hope you had fun with Hot Wheels. And then what about out in the sandbox? Did I tell you about that? I, God, we used to make tracks out there too, right? You'd build things. And first thing, the first toy that would come out for a boy was the Hot Wheels cars. And you go out and you kind of, you know, make a, make a world in your sandbox or whatever with your Hot Wheels cars. And man, God, that was fun. All right. So frozen burritos. Let's talk about frozen burritos, Tina's specifically. What do you know about frozen burritos? I thought I knew a lot about frozen burritos, but I don't know much. We grew up with them. They've been around since we've we've been alive, guys. They they've just always been there. They really took off in the fifties. Now there's a lot of question about where they come from, uh, but what I have found is that uh, the most, I guess, the most, the most. Uh, I don't. Well, I don't. I'm not going to get into it. Why they call them burritos? But apparently, somebody dragging, uh, you know just sticking food in them and, and whatnot. And they just weren't that, uh, they just weren't that popular in the, uh, in the Mexican culture at the time, back in the, back in the 1910s and twenties, they were just a thing, right? Just food. But I think that's probably true for everything, but they've, they've lasted. And then where they think they came to America was when, and it makes sense. It's kind of like why pizza was invented, right? Or a sandwich, you know, you wanted some mobile food. So it all makes sense, whatever culture you're in, to do the same sort of thing. Epid egg rolls were the same thing if I really dug into it. But uh, so anyway, uh, they they allegedly came to the U.S. through uh, Braceros. I'm probably mispronouncing that. And they were migrant workers in the 40s through the 60s, and a lot of the bosses would give them burritos for lunch because, you know, they're easy to make and pack. Sound like a pizza, doesn't it? Uh, but most of the braceros were, especially the ones from central Mexico, they just didn't care, right? And But the Americans started to love it. They just love these, and we still do. <laughs> in fact, so I... This is funny. I, I ended up talking to a buddy of mine uh, on our other podcast. I told you this. And we were talking about, you know, frozen burritos, and I got a taste for them. And, and uh, had the had the girls uh, – did I already talk about this? I think I did. I'm not going to tell you the story again. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I did not intend to tell that story in the beginning, but I think I did. So we have frozen burritos, and I've been enjoying them. In fact, right after this, I'm probably going to have a frozen burrito because, uh, yeah, they're, they're just that good. And Tina's especially. You know, there's a, there's a show on YouTube. Uh, um, from Tina's on how they're made. Did you know they're hand-wrapped? Yeah, Tina's burritos are hand-wrapped. It's the coolest thing, man. And they they make, you know, the tortillas are made right there as well in uh, Vernon, California. It's off El Camino Real, uh, which I used to live near in Northern California. But uh, anyway, I digress. Once once they got, I mean, they they really took off once they, literally once they started freezing them. And that's when they started, you know, traveling across the country. We had them in school lunches. And, you know, pretty soon we all had frozen burritos. Now you're asking who decided to, who invented the frozen burrito? Dwayne Roberts did. He had been selling frozen burger patties to McDonald's. And then he got the idea from a Hispanic butcher. And then the rest, as they say, is history. And he said they were easy to sell because he had these nice portion control, easy to handle. Didn't have to worry about spoiled food because they were frozen. Lived, they last forever in the freezer. You just bring them out when you're ready to eat them. So they just they just kind of took off. Now, 
another place I lived uh, in Northern California, that's kind of where they started making those overstuffed burritos, right? And, you know, the eventually you have the Chipotles that took off in Denver. I was down there not long after they started to. In fact, it's interesting. I usually live in a place right after a burrito boom takes off. <laughs> so something to think about, man. Now, where I'm living now, there's no burritos. Well, there's still burritos, but there's nothing exciting about them. And then Chipotle, man, we used to, I used to work in a, in a telecom. And I would go, you know, we'd take our lunch break. And we'd walk down to, we had a, very close to a Chipotle and at at the, I loved it, man. We'd go in there and there was, I mean, just, I didn't care about how much I ate at the time. So I would get this giant stuffed burrito, right? Remember that? In that, that big tinfoil thing, they still make them. Uh, And I'd get that and and man, I just, I absolutely loved it. They just, but they've, they had some tainted meat or spoiled meat. I can't remember what the deal was, Uh, but they, it, it really gave them a black guy. I don't know how they're doing today. Uh, I still went there a couple of times when I've been out on the road, but it's pretty rare, to be honest with you, mostly because it's such a high calorie, such a big, full thing. I just don't eat like that anymore. The frozen burrito is about right for me size-wise. So, And then I just, like I saw today in, in the uh, paper, they had some... Somebody was, uh, they had some rats or something inside of the uh, Chipotle. And I think most of these places probably do. But anyway, sad demise if that continues to go downhill. And they don't franchise. I think they would have been smart to franchise. I don't know why they didn't. It's, uh, you know, they just stay, they just keep them, keep control of themselves at their corporate headquarters. So I'm not, I'm not sure that makes a whole lot of sense to me. But anyway, that's, you know, frozen burritos, man. Tina's, get yourself a couple. Throw, I mean, I can put a little salsa on there. I just get the paste salsa or picante or whatever. A little, uh, and, and my microwave, I, it says one minute, 10 seconds. I've got to go a lot longer than that. I have to go like 145 to make sure it's warm all the way through. And <laughs> when I, so this is, this is funny. I got in trouble for this. My aunt and uncle I was living with, we were in Utah at the time. They, uh, they had, uh, you know, would get frozen burritos. I don't know who was eating these things normally because we never had them like at a meal. So I don't know if my uncle was taking them for lunch. I don't know what the situation was. But I would come home from school and me and my cousin, you know, nobody was home. We'd go grab these frozen burritos. I used to eat two of them. And we'd nuke them uh, and, and sit and eat our frozen burritos, a little hot sauce out on the porch every day. And I don't know what happened or when it happened, but Apparently, maybe we bought bought a bunch of those on sale, and the stock had depleted, and uh, we got in trouble <laughs> because the burritos weren't there when somebody wanted them. <laughs> so we got our asses chewed. But anyway, man, it was just after school. You know how it is. You're starving, man. You get home, you're starving. I watched my daughter today. She's starving. She gets home. And, and of course, the lunches they're giving her, it's, oh, it's horrible. This whole COVID thing, and they're making these lunches ahead of time. And they used to be really good school lunches. We around here, they they had, everything was fresh. They were cooking things again. It was really good. Um, you know, part of the Obama administration, I think, is what what was driving some of that. Healthy schools or something. I can't remember what it was called, but they were great. And now with COVID, it's back to. I mean, it's bad, guys. I mean, I don't wish this on anybody. What these what they're giving these kids for for lunch, and they're just they're jammed in a sack. You don't get to select anything. They don't have any fresh vegetables anymore. You know, they used to used to be the kids would get all the fresh vegetables and fruits they wanted. They'd have those available. And even, you know, you go buy your lunch, you can go back and get more. So if you wanted more salad, more whatever, you go get it. And now it's that's gone. So 
She's in high school, so I don't think I can coax her into taking her lunch anymore, unfortunately. And I'm not going to pay. And she doesn't drive, so I'm not going to pay to have her go out to lunch every day either for crying out, for crying out loud. Just even thinking about that. Who, who would do that? Got a Picture tells a story. Capture the color of Christmas this year on fresh Kodak film. I got it! I got it! Kodak wishes you some merry, merry pictures. So, Christmas and Kodak were ubiquitous in the 80s, right? Uh, you know, that that commercial or commercials like that, Michael Landon did them. I mean, they, they were all over the place. Because at the time, I mean, that's kind of when we took pictures. It was a special occasion hobby. I mean, yeah, sure, there were still hobbyists out there taking taking photographs, right? Of course there were. Not like there are today because it was a expensive, uh, slow habit. Usually you had to have a dark room and et cetera, et cetera. So the only people really doing it were the, were the guys working in the camera stores, uh, maybe the guys working in the photo mats, right? Those kind, kinds of folks uh, were, were actually doing photography. The rest of us, we had a camera we would take photos at Christmas time are memories. And that's, if you look back through your your boxes of photos, that's where you're going to find most of them, right? Your prints. And by the way, did I tell you? Yeah, I'm trying to print film again. So it's one been wonder, a wonderful print film, print digital photos. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, you know, it, the, the idea of taking a photograph and then getting the film developed and getting it back, that's all we've ever known. Now, in 1900 is when the brownie came out, okay? And well, yeah, the brownie. So the brownie was a the brownie was a film that everybody everybody could get into. And you would you would literally it was just it was called a brownie cuz it looked like a brownie, it was a Kodak brownie. And for 100 100 pictures you would you would take the take the photos and then you'd send it back to Kodak, they'd process it. They'd send you back the photographs and your camera. And so I don't know how long it took, but I'm guessing a month or two, right? So, you know, however long it took you to get that many, that many, uh, uh, photographs made, that's, that's how long it would take. But all of a sudden it just, it became, and it, but it was a lot cheaper. It was a lot cheaper to do. So they started doing that. And then, you know, over time they started growing and this is Eastman Kodak. And so it became, you know, pr- they started making a lot more film and then they started using sheet film instead of, they invented it, sheet film instead of glass plates. Uh, they helped amateur movie makers. So during the big, during the roaring twenties, which I've heard, by the way, we're getting ready to go into another round of roaring twenties from an economic perspective. Uh, but 16 millimeter movies, they started making those kinds. Now that was only for the, the wealthy folks, but they had them. And then, you know, pretty soon they were making color film. For movies in the late twenties, and then eight millimeter for amateur film. So then it became a lot cheaper, right? And uh, so what you, you've heard it, you met, you know what Kodachrome and Ektachrome is, right? Those are those are simulations. In fact, if you go to your iPhone and you get some of these apps, those are two simulations you can get. So you know people like that look because it's we remember that that look from Kodachrome and Ektachrome uh, that that people would process. Eventually, we get into the 60s and 70s, you know, home movies are, 
you know, even being able to, you can even add sound to your home movies. Now I've got reels of these things. I need to go get processed or something, or at least be able to look at it. I don't know. I don't know even where I've got them anymore, but I've got them somewhere. Maybe I don't. God, I don't think I have those anymore. Huh, be a real shame. <laughs> anyway. And then, so this is what I, this is, this was my favorite part. So when was the first digital camera invented? And who invented it? And this is a sad story. Obviously, it's Kodak. That's what we're talking about. It's 1975. And it was 10,000 pixels. It was, so that was 0 0.01 megapixels. So, you know, we just, we, I told you earlier, I've got a 46 megapixel, and there's a lot bigger than that camera. In fact, I have an image I just printed, and it's over my fireplace. But that that image, because I shot a pano, I stitched it together. So that was a 90 megapixel image that I shot. And it, the detail is phenomenal, by the way. And when you print big, detail does become important, but really only if you're going to go look at it really closely. Other than that, it doesn't, it truly doesn't matter. So by 1976, you know, really, uh, that's when things started peaking. And so by the eighties, pretty much everyone, you know, that had a camera, that was it. And they were also competing with Fujifilm, by the way. And so that was a whole nother set of issues. So all that was going on. And then we started getting, uh, we started getting, uh, uh, what do you call it? Video cameras, right? They started coming in. Now, not, not, not really, you know, we're talking about VHS here. So that took up the hobbyists and that became what would come out at Christmas time, right? The VHS recorder. So we still had our film cameras. Remember we talked about the disc camera last time. And we also had another little gem we're going to talk about in a minute that was a, co a competitor of it. And then by 1989, disposable cameras, right? So by the time I went in the military, that's, I mean, I didn't have a camera. I would get a disposable camera and then you drop it off to get developed. And then they sent, you just get the pictures and you're done with the camera, uh, which absolutely, I don't know if they were, I assume they recycled these, right? Reloaded them and repackaged them. I don't know. I mean, photography in a film perspective can be considered a waste anyway. There's a lot going on there that one could argue that in, in, digital's changed that, but it's also taken a lot of the joy out of photography. And that's, that's all my personal opinion. Uh, but so that was the peak though. 88 was literally the peak for, for Kodak. They had 145 plus thousand people on their global payroll. I work for a very large company and we've got like 42,000 people. So that is a lot of folks working for a camera company. And most of it was because we were you know, we were using cameras because we wanted to collect these memories and they were inexpensive. And you take the picture, et cetera, et cetera, and then you send them off and then you, you get it back. And, you know, you might get it into an album. They might just sit in a package. You've got them. I guarantee you do. You guys have boxes of these things somewhere. But th th this is where it got it gets depressing is because they didn't really, even though they invented the digital camera, it didn't work out. Now, did you know this? They actually come, they actually partnered with Apple. They reached out to several tech companies, partnered with Apple. So the DC-20 and DC-25 were Apple phones. They had the Apple, yeah, Apple, Kodak was making camera phones. <laughs> Did I say phones? Apple was making cameras for Kodak. And the, uh, it, it, they just, it just never took off. They just didn't get there because they weren't. You know, they, they had the reason they made cameras was to sell film. Let's not forget that they were not making cameras and they were not making, you know, cameras for the professional. They were making or the hobbyist 
they were making cameras for the end user. Now, the problem with that philosophy, if you're only if you're doing it to sell film, it's not a problem to get an amateur photographer or a, a you know a mother with some kids to sell her a camera that is entry level with some film. That's not hard to sell. But the hobbyist is going to expect more. So the likes of Nikon, Pentax, uh, Minolta, etc. They were making serious cameras. And so the the people that were going to and would eventually move film to the digital aid were these people. Because you have to get these early adopters involved to buy a very expensive piece of camera equipment. Uh, and then you've got, to, you've got to get them to keep buying them because that's how you're going to generate the money for R&D. And that's what Nikon, Canon... And and everybody Nikon was the first with a, with a really good DSLR, but once the DSLR hit, that was really going to be the kiss of death uh, for Kodak and and film in general. And I remember it right. I had a little Canon Elf in the early uh, or the late '90s, early 2000s. I was just looking at some images earlier, uh, and that they they took some great great photos by then. And we're talking, you know, God, what was that? Eight megapixel, maybe six, eight, maybe twelve. I don't even know. I think it was six. Maybe eight. I'd have to look. I should have looked. Small files, so they're not very big. But I've, I print them, and they look fine. If you print them on a four by six, they look just. They look every bit as good, other than what I might argue is some, you know, some challenging color profiles in there. But even then, they weren't bad. Uh, and 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 I get these prints. I could print them today, and they look great. So that's where they started to go wrong. It didn't cost anything, so people could start printing them on their home computers. They already had a computer, right? And so they they would, you know, you get a photo printer. Photo printers were big at the time and some photo printing paper. I remember having reams of this stuff, not reams, but packets of it. And literally, it would just print my own photos. I still have some of those home printed, you know, photos. They look great. They're down in the basement. They're in a, in a, in a folder. And I just run into them every now and again. But that was killing Kodak. And they tried selling the paper for that because... Right. I mean, Kodak had a strong brand name. So selling the photo paper was a big deal, but they lost it, man. They just it just kept going down and down and down and down. Uh, And their cameras for the consumer in 2005, they were they were the leader for consumer digital cameras. They were they weren't driving the technology at this point in time, but they were selling you the camera and they'd have the this all in one. I can't I think. And they'd sell you a printer and they would sell you a camera. And they work together. You just plug one into the other. You don't need a computer anymore. You just plug your, your phone in or your phone. I keep saying that. You plug your camera into the printer and you could print right from the right from the camera. Uh, and that, so they, you know, they, they tried a bunch of different things. It's, it, so it wasn't lack of effort. They just weren't getting the right folks. And then the real kiss of death, the real kiss of death, guess what it was? That's right. Those little crappy cameras in our flip phones. That became good enough. And so people argue with me all the time about quality images and how important that is. And I, guys, I got to tell you, it is not important. The quality of the image is nowhere near as important as the image itself, whatever that might be. You get a vibe. I mean, if you look at Ansel Adams, and this is blasphemy among the photographic community, but I've seen blind blind tests where people look at him at some of the stuff that, that he did that are selling for tens of thousands of dollars now that Ansel Adams did. Honestly, if you didn't know Ansel Adams shot some of this stuff, you'd be like, eh. <laughs> because there's so much better out there today. You know, there really is. Uh, I, I can shoot better than a lot of the stuff he did, for sure. 
my images aren't going to become iconic like his. That's the difference. That's the thing about art. Art. There's artists out there that can paint way better than other artists that are famous and making bazillions of dollars, but that's not the point. There's more to it than that. There's, there's, there's a panache. And this is my argument about photography. It's not about the quality of the actual camera or the quality of the photo paper. It is the end result and what is in that image. So when you started taking your photos with your flip phone, you know, it's a picture of, of, of little junior and that image, that's all you cared. You didn't give a shit about the quality or if it had enough, you had a picture of your kid right there on your phone in your pocket. So remember, remember guys, we used to, and moms used to do it too. We carry these big photo wallets around in our pocket, guys that have in our wallets, women have this little photo book in, in their purse. And this was replaced all of a sudden because now we could just, and we take out our flip phone and we'd see, we'd see our baby on the flip phone, right? When, once they got the LCD screens and then pretty soon wasn't long. We had smartphones, we had PDAs that had them, right? All of these things, the PDAs had cameras built in. And then, uh, then the iPhone came around and that was really, really the turning point because that brought the smart smartphone to the mainstream. I'm at a Blackberry before that. And it was okay. It was a great, great thing. It had a camera on it. It mean, it did everything basically Apple did, but now Apple's coming out and all of a sudden I have my iPod, which was ubiquitous from 2001, and I'm able to mix it together with, with my camera and the camera is pretty good and they've just gotten better sense. In fact, now when you think about a smartphone, the first thing you want to hear about is a camera tech that's in the phone. And it's getting really good, by the way. As mentioned earlier, I took a variety of photos that I printed with my uh, what do I have? An iPhone XS and my Sony A7R3. And again, that A7R3, if I sit and zoom and zoom and zoom, uh, I can count eyelashes on my daughter. And it gets a little more muddy when I do it on the iPhone. But guess what? When I print this on a 3x3, a 4x6, you know, whatever, handheld type, it doesn't matter. They both look great and you can't tell the difference. So, all I care about is I have that nice image of my daughter. And when we went hiking last weekend, I printed those pictures. I've got these wonderful memories that I got to sit on my desk and I don't have to go turn anything on. I just get a look at them. And there's some value to that. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's wasteful, but you know, putting them in an album and looking, I encourage you to do that. And I think, I think maybe a lot of you still do, but man, it really changed everything for me. I sure enjoyed that. And I, I love the instant nature of the phone but now I have that I have that ability, and I can keep that image there. But I can also print it and send it off. And there's other little printers you can get too. But I just send mine off, and it it, it was exciting to get get those film get those pictures back, open the box, and enjoy them. So speaking of that, uh, <laughs> the next segment is going to be Polaroid. Talk about instant gratification. <laughs> Perhaps more than any other time of year, this is the season when millions of people discover Polaroid cameras do what no other kind of camera can do. What's this? Thanks for the milk and cookies, and thanks for the beautiful Polaroid picture. Love, Santa. Happy holidays from Polaroid. That was a... Uh, <laughs> A wonderful time. I mean, and, and Polaroids are still around. They're back, right? So, and it's a little little bit of a different camera uh, than they were then. Now, there's a documentary that really goes into Polaroid, and, and this was actually from 2012, and it was a, during that 
uh, period when when you could not get Polaroid film. It's it's been remade now. In fact, the guys in there, you know, that was his dream is to bring it back. I do not know if he uh, if he actually made it. I, I really don't know. But this guy, Grant Hamilton, I think his name is. Verify that real quick. Yeah. So I I don't know if he actually is the one that came, you know, was able to actually be successful with this. And it's pretty expensive. We'll get into that in a second. But, man, you remember that, how cool that was to actually, you know. Um, oh, by the way, you can see this documentary on on Canopy. Do you know what Canopy is? You get it from your library. It's, it's a library thing, and it's got a lot of artsy type stuff. And I love finding these little gems out there that I would have never found. But uh, anyway, my library allows me. It's just an app, and, and I just log in with my library card. And I'm able to stream uh, all of the content. And they have some actually modern, popular-type movies, too, right, uh, along. But they also have a lot of old stuff, which I really enjoy. And they also have a lot of uh, you know really cool, artsy type of films, including this documentary. Uh, and, it, and it really got into some really cool uh, Polaroid photographers. Now, even even today, I mean, it was this really cool, I don't know, man, there's just some vibe about it. But she was taking these images uh, out in the desert, and they live in the trailer park. And she gets these these models there that are, you know, local girls or whatever, and takes these, you know, some very risque images, actually, uh, with some very, you know, I can't think of the right words right now. But anyway, it just, it's just, you know, it's kind of a jarring type of an image because, you know, uh, and, and man, I'm going to think about the word in a little while, but it didn't necessarily match. And then the best part was, you know, maybe the roller screwed up something in the photo. So, you know, you know, you got those artifacts, those Polaroid artifacts. And, you know, again, I told you there's apps out there. You can kind of imitate some of this stuff and it's a lot of fun. But, I mean, it's a lot more interesting because you don't know what you're going to get. And then as the film starts to expire, right, one of these photographers, she had a whole freezer full of film, and she was trying to keep it, you know, and use it up before too long. But it's almost all expired. Well, it's obviously all expired film at that at, by 2012. And she was worried what she was going to do after it was gone. It wasn't There wasn't going to be any more. Well, anyway, uh, she can she can still get it, but man, that you know those cameras. What I, what was cool about them? It's it's the same reason we like our iPhone and Instagram, and makes it so much fun. I mean, you know, you pull this thing out, you take the picture, and by the way, in that film, it goes. In, there's this guy that basically, and this is back in like the 30s or 40s, and he describes the modern cell phone when it comes to the camera. It's the coolest thing. Anyway, you got to watch this. There's a lot of people that can think forward like that. Uh, I sometimes like to think I can. My daughter doesn't think I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it, but I'm telling her to write some of this stuff down because <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so they're, they're making it again and you can buy the camera. You can buy a Polaroid camera. The quality, I'm not really sure it's as good as the originals. Some of them look very similar. The difference now is you can actually plug in the camera to your computer. So what what I'm seeing here is there's a sensor in there uh, that you can you can capture the image on the sensor. At the same time, you're actually taking an instant photo and you can hand it to somebody because that's the beauty. That's that's what's different between a cell phone. To me, that's the difference between a cell phone image, which I can easily airdrop whenever we go out and take photos with our phones. With my family, we all have the same phone and we go take photos of each other on our hiking trips or, you know, doing events or whatever the case or the holidays, Christmas is coming up. We'll all be taking photos. 
we can then and we airdrop them to each other and we go enjoy them on our on our little phones. And maybe 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 we'll print some out. But with the Polaroid, there's one image. It's a one of a kind. At least it was before these kind. It's a one of a kind image. You take it a picture of someone and you can hand it to them. And they have something, you know, from that event, that time, that place, that moment that you can't you can't get there's there was no other way around it. That is the moment you've captured. That's what photography is. Especially when it comes to snapshots of your friends and family. It's the moment. And that's what's important is what's happening right then. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters at that after that, right? It's what was going on at that moment. You forget about all the bad things that were going on in your life. You look at that image and you can see that's where I was at. That's what I was doing. That's who I was with. It's wonderful. And the phones do that too. Uh, it's just in the, in the instant gratification is there, which is really important in photography these days. Yeah, it probably always has, but we just didn't have the ability to do it before. Uh, but yeah, that's what that that was the beauty of Polaroid. And you can still get them. But are you ready for this? How much do you think it costs? Because I did look this up because Christmas is coming. So I almost got my daughter one of these. Uh, since I know she rarely listens to my show. Mm, to my consternation, uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, I, I can tell you I did not get her a Polaroid camera. I think that's I think that's fair to say. Uh, but the, and it's not for any other reason other than the cost of the the film. Uh, we're looking at two dollars an image, and you know it's every time you click the button, it is where you know if we take a series of forty or fifty or a hundred or five hundred images with an iPhone, you can select ten, send them off, have them printed. The print shop I found on this cardstock I was telling you about, you know, we're talking 40, 50 cents an image, very inexpensive compared to Polaroid. And I get to select the images that I want and I get to doctor them up the way I want because I do a lot of editing, uh, of course, because that's a hobby of mine. You certainly don't need to, but that's what I do. Anyway, that's, you know, that's Polaroid. Go ahead and get yourself Polaroid. The Polaroid, they're not that, they're not that expensive, man. They're really not that expensive. All right, let's talk about. Norelco, just real quick, because it's it, it's a hoot, man. Um. Christmas is a time for closeness, and closeness is what Norelco razors are all about. The shiny new silver rotary razors in cord and rechargeable models with 36 blades, nine closeness settings, and no gotchas. And the Ladybugs, the ladies' razors that really work. And the Ladybug Salon, a ladybug razor plus 11 grooming attachments. Norelco, even our name says Merry Christmas. I love that. I, you know, and I don't, Norelco, I, the, on that commercial, there's not an R there. There's just an N-O-E-L-C-O, and it's got those two little dots on the top. So it's kind of like a European thing. I don't know what language that is, but, you know, I've never seen it that way before. But so the funny, the, so it's Philips Norelco, right? So Philips is the owner. And I thought when I first started looking this up, I thought maybe, well, actually, I, thought, I just thought Philips had acquired Norelco, but that's just not the case. So you guys have heard of Philco. I, I know we have. Everyone everyone listening to this show has heard of Philco. If you're a younger listener, maybe not. But they were also, you know, they'd made record players and things like that and radios. Well, when, when uh, Philips came into the market and they wanted to, they were calling their product Phil-A-Shave, Phil uh, as in Philips and Shave. And that's what they called it in the rest of the world, except the U.S., and there was a company in Philadelphia called Philco, and they literally got in the way. They legally prevented Philips from using the brand name in the U.S. because the two names were just too similar. So then they had to come up with their own brand of electric shavers. And so they came up with a new one. They, it was kind of an acronym. It was, and it came from North American Philips Electrical Company, Norelco. 
Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's ubiquitous. Now, every time you think about Norelco, you think about the one, not the foil shaver, not the foil shaver, and I'm sure Phillips makes a foil shaver now. It's that rotary shaver, right, from the commercial. Anyway, so they bought Philco in 81, and now they can, it doesn't really matter, but they they kept the name Norelco. And, you know, every one of us, that's what we think about. We think about Norelco is that unique shaver, right, with the with the rotary heads on it, the, the tri-head thing. And then the snowman at Christmas time, whipping down the, coming over the thing. Oh, God. Is that Burl Ives? Is that who that was? They were copying Burl Ives from, um, from the other, I think it was, man. I don't think it was Burl Ives in the commercial, though. But it was the same, basically. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> anyway, I thought you'd get a kick out of that one. Not, not going to spend a lot of time on Norelco. But uh, one thing we should look at. Let's talk about, let's talk about our friends at Radio Shack. A Christmas gift from Radio Shack. Before Christmas, they claimed they were bored. But then I found Radio Shack's incredible selection of electronic games. He's rescuing the fair maiden with the Kingman game. She's exploring dangerous new worlds with Zackman. And with the alien chase game, he can do space battle with an opponent or by himself. <clears throat> there are more gifts if anyone's bored. I won! Fascinating electronic games from $7.95 to $59.95. Only at Radio Shack. Zach, man, space games, <laughs> opponent. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> what a dry commercial. But it didn't matter because we were going to be, you know, we went Christmas shopping. We got drugged to the mall. Yeah, the mall. I love the mall. You get drugged to the mall. You're going to Radio Shack. Everybody else can do whatever the hell they want. I'm going to Radio Shack, and that's where you were at, too, because that's where the magic was happening. You know, Steve Jobs, he was he the reason that the iPhone works so well and computers in general, that was his idea. And, and I don't know if you guys realize this, but uh, he also was, uh, 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 what was the name, Pixar? That was his company too, was Pixar. So he he got it, right? It was all about magic. And you had to, it had to have that feeling. So some of the things the iPhone did early on, it was all about magic because everything felt new and magical. And really, it's no different. Radio Shack, think about it. You go, down, you go in there and there's this toy like a radio control car, and there was no wire between, right? Because we'd had remote control cars, but now we're starting to get into these radio control cars. And so a kid starts playing with that, and this car starts moving as you're playing with the controller. Are you kidding me right now? And it's it, it, tell me that's not magic. It's absolutely magic for a kid, right? So that you know that and, and the the best part is they had all these toys out for you to go handle and play with. They weren't stuck behind a shelf somewhere. They were out there for kids to play with. And they had, I mean, remember the poker games? Yeah, yeah. The the All the different little card games. God, they were popular. Uh, what else did they have? Um, let me think here. Remember phone dialers? Right? The phone dialers and dictionaries in your pocket. We were a little, we were a little you know, young adult age by this point in time. But, God, those phone dialers, the stupidest thing ever. But... Versus a push-button phone, if you had to make a long-distance call, you look up your friend's, because you're going to look up your friend's number anyway, all you had to do is push the thing, and it would make the dial tone into the phone handset. You didn't have to push the buttons. Yeah, that's right. So you kept your phone book in this little digital thing, and it would also dial the phone for you. God, I loved it. And then, But you had to get a separate dictionary, too, didn't you? Fit in your pocket. It was like a little pocket calculator, but it was just a it was just a phone, uh, excuse me, a dictionary. So, and then computers. Remember Tandy computers? Radios, right? Realistic radios, walkie-talkies, microphones. 
other instruments, all that stuff, man. Hell, if they could have lasted a little while longer, they would literally have been a podcaster's wet dream, right? <laughs> and then science kits. Remember the science kits? Yeah, that's right. You can get every kind of science kit from chemistry, but really the electronics kits were the best. You can make a little radio. They still sell that stuff, but Radio Shack doesn't have them. I wish they could have lasted. They just, you know, it was one of those things where the model just didn't last. The hobbyist thing was gone because now, you know, we're not we're not doing things as a hobbyist anymore in the same way it, with the hardware. There's still a few people out there doing it, but most of us, we're buying these enclosed boxes that are so shoved full of glue and glass. We're using the software. Our hobby is on the software side now for just about anything. And there's still, you know, amateur radio folks out there doing stuff that certainly would would love a Radio Shack. Uh, they're doing everything mail order with the Internet now. So that problem was solved, too. They didn't need to go to the Radio Shack, even though the people kind of like the camera people I was talking about. That's where you'd go to talk radios. You know, an amateur radio is at the Radio Shack with guys that love doing that kind of thing. So, and computers, same thing. It was, you know, God, man, you, you got to miss those days. But at the same time, man, the cool stuff we have today, are you serious? I mean, I'm I'm literally recording this podcast. I'm going to put it out. Within a couple hours, it'll be produced. It'll be available all over the world for people to listen to. Now, man, I'm telling you, that that is magic, right? And I'm doing it for my, for my bedroom here you know, my little office thing. And, and everyone's going to be able to, not that everybody does, my listeners are not, but I do have far and wide listeners. And it's, it's, it's quite a few. And I listen to people from all over the world too, right? Because of that same magical feeling. When I was, uh, when I was younger, I used to have a, in fact, I had a Radio Shack DX390. Uh, in fact, I have it still in my office. Uh, and, and it's a shortwave radio. And one of my favorite things to do on, on a Sunday night, you know, getting ready to go to work the next day, I'd sit there and just tune in to radio stations, and there's not many of them anymore, all over the world. You know, I had I knew which frequencies to tune into at which times. And I listened to these these frequencies and shortwave is really cool because it doesn't go outside of the uh one of the fears, onosphere. I can't remember, but it stays underneath it, right? So that that that's what makes the waves travel so far. So you could listen to things and you know, the more antennae you had, the better, but even when I was living in an apartment, I could string out a nice long wire out of my patio and I could get some really good listening in. It was fun. And so, you know, that it's like like an early live version of a podcast that, that I can do today and I'm doing it and producing it and the equipment is inexpensive. Hell, you can make a podcast on your phone, guys. You can make a podcast start to finish and published from your phone. And you can actually do it free of charge. I don't know if you know that. You don't have to pay for it. If you have the phone, you can do it. Another thing the phone's done for you. <laughs> I mean, what hasn't it replaced? It is amazing when you think about the cool stuff it's replaced. In fact, I'm going to do an episode on that. That may be the season opener of season two. But anyway, guys, listen, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting this far. I know this has been a longer episode. It was actually kind of difficult to do, I got to tell you, just because of the length. So before you go, <laughs> before you hang up, before you run down to your mom's place, get into her attic and look for some of those Hot Wheels and see if you've got that van worth one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Hey, if you do, you know, come on, you got to. I get a finder's fee, right? I brought it up. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, anyway, it at least pay for your good part of your kid's college fund. One hundred seventy-five thousand. You think that's enough to cover college these days? I guess it depends on where they go, doesn't it? I mean, some of these things are expensive, man. I've been thinking about it a lot because I've got a 15-year-old. I'm getting nervous. All right, so reach down, favorite podcast app, click subscribe. Give me a five-star review. 
man, it really helps with the show. It gets in front of your friends and the friends of Generation X. If you're on Facebook, look up the show. Join and like the page, Frequency 13. I'll be uh, I'll be really, you know, looking at things differently next year. It's going to be an exciting 2021. I really hope you guys go out and have a great holiday season wherever you're at. Enjoy it, even if you're just going to celebrate solstice, because maybe the holidays aren't your jam. <laughs> it's okay. And then check out the blog, Frequency13.com, and then FREQ13FM at gmail.com. You get a hold of me. I'm on Twitter, at Frequency13POD. Uh, of course, the Facebook page, man. That's really where the action's at. Yeah, I don't go there very often, though. I got to tell you, send me an email. Maybe next year I'll get better at, better at Facebook. I'm really trying. But, man, with all the stuff you read in the news, it's hard to do, isn't it? Anyway, don't. Uh, there's no need to bother this year, anyway, with... Uh, <laughs> there's no need to bother this year with that out-of-stock PS5. Did you see how little stock they made? They sold out, like, instantly. People are mad. Christmas season, they don't have anywhere near the stock they needed. <laughs> but it's Okay. Because instead of getting your, your, your kids a PS5, get them the gift that the whole family will love. Atari would like to thank you for taking us into your homes. We wish you all a happy holiday. And we'll see you next year. <laughs> always one chucklehead, right? This time of year. See you next year. Da, 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 da. <laughs> they always say it to the guy that's got to work all the way through the holidays, too. Jerks. <laughs> anyway, seriously, we'll see you next time. <laughs>